you know, politicians do have to think about what we say. And I think the trouble with Twitter, the instantness of it, <laughs> is, is I think there's too many twits might make a twat. Hello, and welcome to the Open Conservative Project, with me, Sam Colson, and my co-host, Tom Hobson. How are you, Tom? Uh, fine, fine, fine. A um, little bit early, as ever. It's becoming a theme. <laughs> it is becoming a theme. Is it becoming a theme so much that we should stop talking about it? Possibly, but then again, <laughs> well, how else are we going to introduce ourselves? <laughs> it's Just morning and I'm early. tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, we are... We're coming back after a short break, um, where I was on holiday, um, and then we'll come to the other reason for why we had a short break later in, into the podcast, but... I think mm. there's been uh, a fair amount kind of going on since we since we last spoke, which is good for us to to kind of get into. Um, and it's, it's the first one, the budget, which happened on Wednesday this week. We're recording on the on the Friday morning. Oh yes, the budget, dishy rishy, dishy rishy. So it happened on Wednesday, as is tradition. After PMQs, it was an interesting lead up into it, um, where Keir Starmer currently has COVID, uh, like oh, yeah. about fifty percent of the population, it feels, and so wasn't at the PMQs beforehand, and then of course wouldn't, couldn't respond to the budget. So we had Ed Miliband doing PMQs for Labour instead, mm. uh, which is a nice throwback, and <laughs> and then we got uh, Rachel Reeves responding to the budget. Is that right? I mean, I spec. Yeah, that is right. I, <laughs> I speculated at the time when this was coming out in our little group chat. Oh my god, is this deliberate? You know, has he deliberately got <laughs> COVID so he doesn't have to respond to the budget because it's famously the worst thing you have to do? Yeah. Going back to another little thing you said, I um, I've, I don't know why I was reading. I can't remember where I read it. It might have been in the Times or something. But the budget used to be on a Tuesday, mm. and. The reason it was moved to a Wednesday after PMQs, I think it must have been in the Times, because it was William Hague then spent the entirety of PMQs quizzing Tony Blair on Gordon Brown's budget from the Tuesday, and Gordon Brown wasn't happy with any of the answers being provided. <laughs> oh, that's great. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I have uh, I've recently been watching all of the New Labour documentaries that the BBC have put out. Have, Which have, you? You, have you seen them? I haven't seen any of them yet. They're really good. I think you'd really enjoy them. I think it's it's five separate hour-long programmes. Okay. Each kind of goes into a bit of the New Labour thing. So like the first one is opposite, you know, like purist opposition, like the dark days of Ender Thatcher, hmm. John Major for Labour kind of thing. Um, and it takes us all the way through to um, Gordon Brown losing the 2010 election. And it's, it's really amazing. Like, they've got great interviews with people. Um... You know, Tory and Labour obviously focus more on Labour, but it's it's very insightful. But that was not featured in it, so maybe it's not as good as I thought it was. This documentary. <laughs> well, you know, that's a little that's a minor detail that I said. That sounds quite interesting. I feel like we're reliving the new Labour days of this current government. Yeah, and maybe that's a good chance for us to get into this budget. So, um, uh, for for full disclosure, I was on holiday, so I didn't actually watch it. But I've you know read a lot of the coverage and stuff. Um, you actually watched it, Tom. What did you think of Rishi's presentation and, you know, his panache delivering this <laughs> moment? Do you know what? I, I was... I've been a little bit negative recently, but 
I I really enjoyed it. You know, instinctively, I thought it was it was it was very well delivered. It was good, and I think I sent I sent it to you or someone else. You know, this was a brown esque budget with mm. Osborne ish flair, um, and it and it had flair. You know, there were things nobody was expecting. There was that big rabbit out of the hat on the Universal credit taper. Mm. You know, they floated they floated the idea of a three percent cut, and then suddenly he shouts, "Not one, not two, but eight. And actually, it was it was pretty big. That was huge. Yeah. Um, um, I, th- I can, you know, you read you read reports of of MPs being fed up with Rishi, um, you know, showboating essentially, <laughs> and you can kind of see why because he's quite good at it. He's very slick, isn't he? I know yes. like that word being used about politicians, but like he he does seem quite slick. There was a whole um, Times article yesterday dedicated just to his um, his sliders. The type of kind of sandal um, flip yeah, flop yeah, that yeah. he was wearing. Um, uh, that is actually just this is a complete. This is not about the politics at all. Uh, he wears a lot of clothes with zips. Have you noticed this? A lot of his tops have zips, kind of halfway up them. It's very odd. Do they? All these, yeah, yeah, yeah. All these like ca- you know candid in inverted commas photos put out by the treasury of him like prepping for the budget with his sliders on and his trackies. He has these tops <laughs> that kind of seem to unzip almost all the way to the armpit, and I've never seen anything like it before. Is that what truly rich people are wearing now? Are we, are we just I don't not know, aware? So. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, called fashion. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a complete diversion. But, okay, so the presentation-wise, it was, it was slick. It seemed like, yeah, like they really got the comms right for this budget in a big way because they were teasing stuff all the way back to the Sunday papers which is yeah. rare. You know, you normally tease a couple of things kind of the day before or the morning of, but to have stuff teased, big stuff, teased in the Sunday papers, and then it continued to be a rolling story all the way up to Wednesday when he still had rabbits out of the hat is quite impressive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was very, very well done. And, you know, there's even a longer-term picture to it because if you if you look at the things that have happened over the past few months, what would traditionally have been in the budget the social care levy rise, those tax rises <laughs> would traditionally have been in the budget. They got them yeah. out of the way early, so that the budget was all about good news. Here's some more money, more money, <laughs> we will have more money. And that's kind of what it was, you know, it was an mm. hour of him handing money out, which is why yeah. it's such an instinctively popular budget. Well, yeah, uh, you, sent in a, you sent me a Comres, I think it was, did a poll... Uh, after the budget, and it was like I don't know, was it like sixty percent approve of the budget or something higher? I mean, it was something like that. It yeah. was very high, and I and I I think I just texted back, "This is bollocks." Which I like. <laughs> I don't know how you can do polling the evening of to people who, I mean, if it's a truly representative sample, maybe one out of the thousand watched the budget. You know, yes, yeah, and, and um, maybe three hundred will have read the headlines at that point in the day before the six o'clock news comes on. Like, yes, yeah, yeah, a bit silly. Well, you're right, and and I think YouGov did a better job of it, where the the biggest response was "I don't know yet," yes, rather right. than "love it or hate it." Yeah, I th- I do think you're right, but actually, you know, to have to have that instinctive, this was good. Yes, you know, it hasn't turned around yet, and the fact I also think the fact that the majority of news commentators etc have stopped talking about the budget actually mm. says that it was it was a success because so far there's been no 
Pastigate-esque oh, disasters, just, yes. which just drag on for weeks and weeks and weeks yes. until there's a massive U-turn. So it's, it's been and gone, and that in itself is a success. Pastigate was also my go-to example then, just before you said it, of, you know, Sorry. project gone wrong. No, no. I, no yeah. What was the other one they did on that same budget? Wasn't it like cutting the VAT on your bingo winnings? It was something like that. <laughs> And then, and then it was just it was just views, and I think it was it was just incredibly patronising. Like real working people play bingo, therefore we have to. I don't know. It was just very out of step. I can't at remember. Times. It was anyway. That was the Omni Shambles budget of 2012, of course. Um, yes, it was. And and here we are, almost a decade later, and you know we're not repeating those mistakes. It seems like I, I think you're right. It's good. We kind of. We're, I think what we're kind of doing here inadvertently is compartmentalising this into the media side of what did the public think of the budget and then yeah. we can go on to talk about real world impacts and tax and all that kind of stuff yeah but on the media side yes i think it was handled really well i saw an article this morning um by james forsyth uh, in the times columnist there um who was saying this is the most tax and spend that the Tories yep. can go. This is the outer limit of what is possible for a Conservative Party to do, and you know maybe for Conservative MPs to tolerate, you know, mm. um, which I think is true. But I also think the Overton window is shifting constantly in the favour of high tax, high spend. But that's the last bit of commentary that I've kind of seen on on this stuff. I mean, you you might be right. You know, they might be able to push it further. But, I mean, I can say from my understanding of the mood of the membership of the party mm-hmm. is actually, you know, there, there's a point where morale is low because they don't necessarily recognise this as a conservative government. Mm. And there will come a point where the feedback will be to central office slash, you know, then it goes up the poll to the government of is there any point where you will be cutting taxes? And that question will become louder and louder. You know, David Cameron being quoted as saying, well, at least in my time, we cut taxes. That mm. There's still a core conservative ideology of low taxes. And we've got this funny, odd spin of a government saying we're low tax conservatives <laughs> and then raising taxes to the highest level since, what, the 1950s or and state expenditure to the 1980s. Yeah. Um, and maybe that brings us neatly on to, you know, the, the meat of the meat of this thing. So the IFS is estimating it's three to four thousand pounds off the top of attack on extra tax by twenty four twenty five, and that yep. is taking into when you take into account that UK household average disposable income, so everything after tax. Is twenty nine thousand pounds. So people in their pockets will see it. Yeah, they'll see it. You know, near tenth, just over a tenth reduction in in disposable income. And you know, disposable income is still mortgage costs and all that. Yes, absolutely. And on mortgage costs, what is going up next week? Probably interest rates, by the sounds of Possibly. things. Possibly. That's the noise coming out that they're going to do 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 two five percent. Um. It's all happening, and inflation's going to rise up to 4%, I think they said. That's the latest estimate. Yes. So, yeah. Do we, do we want to do an, an, an economics bit 
here or not, Sam? <laughs> How confident are you in your economics? Well, and and that's that's the question. You know, do do should we? Because at the moment we're we're leading towards comparing the media splash, which has been great, very mm-hmm. positive for the government, and questioning whether the that the actual reality is a positive, mm-hmm. and your your proposition that tax and spend is now what everyone wants. And if you if you go on, if you go on the the, the polling yep. of especially this budget, then actually tax and spend is is where people want to be. They want to see investment and leveling up and mm-hmm. everything else that comes with that. You know, the the social care levy actually turns out wasn't unpopular because it's going to be dealing with the NHS backlog and then the social care problem. Yeah. Although you still hear the argument of where's the social care plan. And I yes. think that's actually still valid at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, what do the public want? They want tax and spend. You know, is this government being the ultimate in in what the Conservative Party has been successful over its entire length of time of adapting to the circumstances to to win ultimately. Mm. I think that could be it. And they're also boxing Labour into a corner here. Yeah. Right? Because the media are consistently saying this is very high tax. Like the B that you know that was the BBC push alert, right? Was like yep. taxes up guys Um, and so you can't then have Labour coming on and saying we'd spend more what it's really doing is bouncing Labour into a kind of 2098 position shall we say where Labour just come in and the Conservative budget promise uh, was we will spend exactly the same as Labour but we'll spend it in different areas and that's kind of what they're bouncing Labour into here which just isn't a very, I don't know, it's just not a very clear message. You know, the well, talk- what did the Labour Party do? You know, what did Rachel Reeves say? She had some good lines, I'll give her that. She did, you know, bankers on short-haul flights sipping champagne will be will be celebrating this because short-haul flights are cheaper, champagne is cheaper, and their bankers and the surcharge is being cut. Now, you know, the simplification, simplification of um, alcohol duties, which is why the champagne is becoming cheaper. Mm-hmm. APD on in- internal flights has always slightly been unfair because you paid it on both legs as opposed to travelling to and from Europe where you only paid it on one leg. Mm-hmm. And the banking surcharge is is a reduction because they've already been paying over the odds in terms of corporation tax rate. And even though there's a reduction in the surcharge, they'll be paying 1% more than they have been over the last X number of years. So yeah. it's it's actually quite easy just to pull that apart a little bit. I mean, some yeah. stronger than others. But what do the Labour Party do? That's the only thing I remember <laughs> as, a, as a line from the Labour Party that was effective. You know, it was kind of, we would do it better, we would do more, we would do it differently. Yeah. Without actually saying what they would do. Yeah, and I, I don't think the Labour Party are bold enough to do anything that different here. Because to do anything that different would be to really shake things up. And I just don't think that's what the Labour Party are really gunning for at the moment. I well, I mean, they did. <clears throat> well, you only have to look at Corbyn to see where they looked for totally <laughs> different. Yes. Um, and actually, I think in terms of opposition to this, Corbyn would probably be more effective because he would say or talk about totally transforming society. Yes. But I don't think people... This is my kind of my point, where I don't think people want that. 
and that's what well, they didn't. They didn't vote for it, did they? Yeah. No, I, like I, I don't see. It is the classic thing of you know all those people, all those people who voted Tory in 2019 who have, if Labour had just been a bit more radical they'd have voted for Labour <laughs> instead I just don't no, I, no, that, it just no. doesn't wash does it yes um, yeah yeah no I completely agree and, if Labour and, promised and right. more change <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they could have done but you're right um what do the Labour Party do in opposition to this the narrative is totally dominated by the current government completely and utterly mm. Yes, absolutely. And it's it's fascinating. It's like the it's like it's kind of like the Blair Brown years in that sense as well. Yeah, it really is. So basically, we're saying a successful budget for Rishi, and and us saying that the Tories have done something well marks quite a change from our tone in recent episodes. Yes. Which, um, you know, it's an interesting thing to note, I think, that as soon as we don't focus on Boris, whose name we haven't mentioned up until now... No, we haven't, have we? Uh, you know, actually, it becomes a lot more positive. And I don't know. Maybe that's a, a little sign of something. A little sign of something to come. Um... I mean, one, one thing I, I would say that I kind of thought was, up until this point, did we really know what levelling up was? <laughs> and there were a lot of... I, I enjoyed those little videos asking young Tory activists at a party conference, what is levelling up? And they all come out with, you know, actually vaguely the same answer in a yeah. different way, uh, but it was still very woolly. And I think this is the first time we have seen tangible examples of levelling up and simply because it is the levelling up fund to yeah. spend oh, I can't remember how much it was in total but it was a significant amount of money on specific mm. projects in specific areas um, none of them or very few of them in the southwest might I add but that's yes. just my perspective on it and it looks like a lot of them were for semi-marginal northern seats mm -hmm. and loyalists who have been there for quite a long time yeah um i think just on the southwest point until the southwest becomes electorally competitive again with labor not the lib dems i don't think the southwest is seeing that much more investment frank like it's just not in the government's like interest if you've got a limited pot of cash to throw around you throw it at the seats that you're you won last time and you're clinging on to i.e. the dreaded red wall. Like, uh, politically, I think that's why, why you've got to do that. Um, yeah, and, and there were a few pots for the Southwest. There's something in Plymouth. Um, I mean, if you if you stretch the definition of the Southwest, you've got a few things in Gloucester uh, and Stroud, which is a marginal with Labour, let's yeah. remember. Um, uh, there's some stuff in Wiltshire. So those, I would argue, are the loyalists. I think there's something in the Forest of Dean, which is obviously mm -hmm. Mark Harper, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. So you do have some, um, I think there's some for Bath and Bristol as well, actually. But I, also, you know, I don't yeah, really count them. I don't really count them as the southwest. Don't count no, them. it's not true southwest, <laughs> is it, Tom? <laughs> uh, okay, have we covered off the budget there? Is there anything else to mention on 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 the budget? I'm trying to think. I basically haven't seen any Labour response to it. Is is, and we've kind of touched on this already, but like. Having been out, you know, on holiday, out of the news, I deleted Twitter. It was blissful. 
And you know, <laughs> I haven't really been reading the news. I really have seen almost no Labour reaction to this at all. It feels like the IFS and the BBC are the ones putting up the opposition to this government at the moment. I think you're right. Um, and the, the other place that the opposition is going to come from, and I said this to someone else, I think, you know, the, 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 the Labour Party have been silent, so the opposition is going to come from the Daily Telegraph and the Daily <laughs> Express <laughs> Compla- complaining about it not yeah. being right-wing enough or something like that, or no yeah. tax cuts. And, and, you know, even that hasn't really happened. Um, oh, I've got one more thing I want to talk about with the budget, which is uh, the media framing of it. So we've said media reaction positive. So uh, Dishy Rishi went out and did the, you know, the the shows afterwards, and the question that he kept on being asked was, "Will you lower taxes again before the next election?" Mm. And it was all framed around elections, and mm. I don't know. I just feel like it's. We've kind of lost sight of what elections are there to do, which is to elect a government. And then the media's job is to cover the government. It's not to think yeah. about what the outcome of the next election will be, because that ultimately is a day. And then the repercussions last for five years. And, and it's weird that the scrutiny isn't being applied in terms of what the government, you know, what the government's impact on the UK will be. It's the impact of the budget on the government's electoral um, chances. I think that's a fair comment, but uh, but I also I, I get why they've done it. You know, the, the the party in the last couple of months have floated stories out and about of oh we might have an early general election or mm-hmm. we might have a late general election. Is it going to be on the old boundaries? Is it going to be on the new boundaries? <laughs> so they've enjoyed whipping up this. Yeah. When's the next election? Sure. Because. They're basically giving us an almost two-year time frame of two of when the election might be, early 23 or some point late 24. And it screws with the Labour Party. Let's be honest, it screws with the Labour Party because they're mm. constantly thinking, oh shit, when do we have to plan for? When do we have to do it? <laughs> um, and, you know, and the Lib Dems and the SNP equally. Yeah. It, it, it's just another example of the government controlling, um, controlling the series of events. Yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, I don't know. It's just another one of my frustrations with the media, I guess, of like, I just don't think the reporting is very good. <laughs> I just don't think it's a I, good... I don't think the interesting angle is always the the one about competition, you know? Yeah. Um, and I realise it's very difficult to make interesting copy out of something that isn't competition, you know? That it's not when it's not Tories versus Labour, but like sometimes it's a big fiscal event after huge fiscal shocks to the economy with covid and brexit and stuff yep. yeah, let's yeah. cover it like that i don't know i'm sure that was out there as well i'm just being you know pejorative. anyway well th- th- that sort of stuff is typically done by the specialists in each of those areas so you'll have you'll have your your professional bodies coming out with reactions to the budgets sure. on those specific things um and i suspect members of the media who are more exposed to those Thing. Oh, well, this is boring. Let's do something more interesting. <laughs> like frame it in a in a way that makes me interesting. Yeah, yeah. The next story I wanted to talk about is the well, <laughs> the upcoming war with France. <laughs> 
I shouldn't laugh. It's fairly serious, but I think it's all going to be sourced out today. I think by the time this podcast goes out, either it will, we will be at war with France, we'll be sourced out. And I'm leaning towards the latter. <laughs> so the story is we, um, as part of the Brexit deal that we did with the EU, um, we uh, reserved the right to kind of kick out you know, French boats from our waters. Yeah. Right? Um, unless the boats can prove that they always fished there. Now, for a lot of these boats, they don't have any GPS equipment, therefore they can't prove that they were certain places at certain times, therefore they've been right. kicked out. Uh, and that's completely within, our, within the UK's rights to do. Um, however, France has said that the number of boats that can prove that they've been there uh, have also just been rejected for their permit that they need to go back and fish there. What right. this has led the French to do is say, well, firstly, they've seized one of our fishing boats. That's That's been oh, yes. hauled, hauled into France. And secondly, they're threatening um, kind of way more severe customs checks for all goods coming through the UK, basically to disrupt trade. Um, yeah. Essentially, sanctions on the UK economy trading with the EU, which is yeah. kind of crazy. This has all been threatened, like, very much in public. And there was a good line in Plisco this morning that apparently... The UK ministers don't really know what to do because they've had no official, like, through official channels, communications about this. This is just a media war where French yes. ministers are saying stuff in the French press and our ministers are saying stuff in our press and no one's actually speaking to each other yet. Um, but it's it's very interesting. And this comes, of course, uh, basically the UK line is the French are going to, this is the French are breaking international law by, yep. by doing this. And they've been, they've taken legal advice on that. Um, now, you know, I don't think it sounds great. It sounds like the UK is doing what it should in this situation. Um, and the French are being, you know, uh, a little bit boisterous about it. Um, but I think the interesting point is that we also threatened to break international law about six weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to change the Brexit deal. So I don't think we have much of a leg to stand on, which makes these talk, the, like, the upcoming crisis talks about all this quite interesting. Um, but, well, <laughs> If you, if you ask me, it almost doesn't matter that we threatened to break international law over the Brexit deal, because that Brexit deal negotiation is with the European Union. Mm. I think a lot of this French sabre-rattling, because clearly it's not formally happening, it might be to a, to a lesser degree, yeah. is actually much more associated with French internal politics and the election that is on the horizon. Yes. Um, and maybe we make this, <laughs> maybe we do a special edition. On the French election. French <laughs> deep, deep knowledge, yes. Um, I know who the goodies are and I know who the baddies are, I think that's about as far as So now should we turn to uh, the saddest story at the moment, which was the killing of Sir David Amos um, at mm. one of his constituency surgeries. Yeah, an awful, an awful thing to have happened, um, and I think I think what we should do is talk about this through the lens of, you know, not the specifics really, because yeah. I think that got pulled over by the by the press a lot, um, yeah. and I just don't think we have anything to add to that. But what we what we can add to is, and kind of comment on is what we've seen of, you know, M MPs in in surgeries and like uh, how important that is. To democracy, well, yeah, right? yeah, and how precarious our democracy might be, the constituency link of members of parliament and that kind of thing. Yes, exactly. Um, 
you know, Sir David was a was a big proponent of this, and you know, I've seen firsthand kind of managing to an extent MP surgeries kind of a few, you know a good few years ago now, but the power that you know it gives a constituent to go and speak to their MP, you know, often one on one, you know, mm. with someone there, you know, like me off to one side taking notes or whatever, but to really explain what the issue is that they're facing and, and what the MP can do to help. I think it's incredibly powerful. It's something that a lot of countries yes. don't have, um, you know, at all. Even, even someone like the States, which you could say has a similar, you know, constituency kind of based democracy as, as us, you know, they don't have that, that kind of format. It just doesn't really exist there. And it's really powerful. But yes, it, it does show, you know, th- this is, you know, this the second MP that has been killed in recent years. Yeah out and about in their constituency yeah um which really you know doesn't it, it's not it's not good and like yeah, there obviously has something has to be done to uh, to stop this happening again but it, um, it, it it does concern me that we we you know the natural reaction would lend us towards ultimately less democracy i.e fewer mm-hmm. surgeries less of a link um you know yeah. mps cautious to turn up to open public events and and that sort of thing, and I suspect the immediate reaction will be cancel some things, alter yeah. others so that they're over Zoom or Teams or whatever the hell it's going to be, mm-hmm. um, and lose less of the personal connection of a member of Parliament. And I do think that's a bit, a bit. Is it dangerous? No, it just it creates more of an us and them, and that is problematic in my mind. Yeah, I agree. Um, it already feels to an extent like it's a, you know, an us and them between the population and MPs, right? Because to an extent mm. it is like they're in a re- you know they're in a rarefied position. They want to actually get to go and debate these things, uh, in you know in the place that it really matters. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you do to make it safer. Is the problem, and I guess that's not for us to really to really comment on. And I. You know, I don't, I don't want to spend too long on this because I think a lot of what can be said has been said, and I don't want to just talk about this kind of for, for content. You know, like it's just too yes. big an issue. Yeah. You know, we can talk flippantly about things about the budget, which yes, have real world impacts, but like this is, you know, just a, a truly tragic event, and I don't, it is. I don't want to linger forever. Fine. For the for the listeners' uh, information, we uh, we had a long segment on COP, which was very good and very detailed about, about climate policy, and that got lost. So yeah, my fault. Next Sorry. week, I think we'll be talking. <laughs> next week, we'll be talking about COP, I suspect, and any yep. outcomes of that. Um, and let's see where this French fishing boat story that Tom was very interested in goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we possibly should say that the bit that was lost on COP was essentially, I think it's going to be a massive flop, and Sam yes. is a little bit more optimistic. Yeah, and, and I think what we're experiencing now is a bit of noise before the event, but, you know, when the serious people come to town, it'll get serious. Yes. Um, okay, Let, let's let's call it there, Tom. This is a, this is a good one. And um, remember to subscribe to the Open Conservative Project on yes. your podcast app of choice. And you can follow Tom on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle, Tom? 
Uh, it is at Tom P Hobson, and you can follow Sam on Twitter, but he may not. He may not accept your follow because he's <laughs> grumpy. <laughs> I'm trying to use Twitter less. I think we should talk about that next week. I'm going to do another week off Twitter and see how I feel about it. But okay, okay. much better is the immediate. Anyway, let's wrap up, Tom. Thank you for listening. Speak next week. Yeah, man.